Elijah Fisher just became the highest rated recruit to commit to Texas Tech of all time. But what will his role look like as a true season? We'll give you our thoughts coming up on today's Locked On Texas Tech. Our Locked On Texas Tech, your daily podcast on the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Texas Tech, a member of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms wherever you get podcasts, including YouTube. So be sure to go subscribe to our channel over there. I'm Ryan Mainville. It's nice to see y'all. It's been a minute. I covered Texas Tech for the Dallas Morning News. I'm joined by Emery Elida, who's been holding down the Locked On Texas Tech fort for the past couple of weeks. But today... We're excited to be back together and to be talking some Texas Tech basketball because obviously there was some monumental news over the past couple of weeks and we haven't been able to catch up on it. And the talk of the town is obviously here. And we had been hinting towards this on the pod for a couple of weeks as everybody was hinting towards it everywhere because it kept secret in Texas Tech basketball history that this guy was going to end up as a Red Raider. His classification was still kind of the only question mark of the equation and if he would end up being a uh, a prospect that came in this year for the 2022 season or if he would be a class of 2023 guy but it was pretty much agreed upon that he was going to be a this year guy and that's how it officially played out but I mean, I think we can just all breathe a, a sigh of relief. I remember even seeing on Red Raider Sports the day of his commitment um, when he released his top four or whatever the, the day before when everybody thought he was going to commit. It was like everybody was freaking out. Like they were like, oh, man, this guy's going to end up at, at Kentucky or at, at Louisville or somewhere. But uh, never a doubt, man. Elijah Fisher, a Red Raider. Yeah, we've been waiting a few weeks to talk about this. All the way back to the start of May, it was one of those things where it was already sort of in the works. And as it turned out, I mean, there are some things going on behind the scenes about his, about his classification, getting things sorted out to be a class 2022 guy. It worked out in the end. And I mean, that's the biggest thing is at the whole time, it seemed like an open, transparent communication between Tech and between Fisher. There was never any real doubt behind the scenes as to where he was going to end up. It was just a process of making sure that everything was good to go. Obviously you had a couple of names and schools come in late, but by all accounts, Fisher was committed through the entire time and to have it on the board, to have Elijah Fisher committed to the program, having him as one of your last couple scholarships is a really big benefit because not only does he give you on-court production and arguably a five-star prospect. I know the 2022 reclass stuff has meant that it's kind of done some weird numbers to what his actual ranking is, but he's a five-star caliber prospect. To have that guy come in, that kind of dispels a lot of the narrative about Mark Adams recruiting. It dispels a lot about how he can't pull in these high-level prospects, doesn't have the relatability. That's been proven false. I mean, you bring in a guy like Elijah Fisher, in addition to all the other freshmen that we've, freshmen that we've already talked about on this podcast, and it's nice to see. I think on the court, you see a lot of value in Elijah Fisher, but off the court, the ability to bring a guy of his caliber in is really huge for the program and something that we've been excited for for a while. 
Well, let's talk about the reclassification impact because I think that's something that rubbed a lot of Red Raider fans the wrong way. Um, when he was a class of 2023 guy, he was a consensus five-star prospect, was um, you know very highly ranked in the 24-7 composite, was like a top 10 player, and then he reclassifies and he becomes a four-star player. He, he's now the 40th ranked prospect in the 24-7 sport composite rankings, the 15th ranked small forward, and he's not even the best player coming out of Ontario anymore. So I think it's a pretty big adjustment from what Texas Tech fans were expecting. You know, it feels like there's all this buzz in recruiting, and it's like you've got football hanging on to the number one class, but then everybody's knocking on the volume of recruits over the quality of recruits, and then you've got Fisher obviously taking a bit of a dip. Walk me through that process. Uh, why did Fisher take a fall? Are you worried about it? Not not because of on-court stuff, but just because of how he fares with the rest of the 2022 class. Like, do you, do you think he's ready to play college basketball next year? And do you think this is a reflection of him potentially not being ready? I think there's a few things at play that really sort of play into how Fisher ended up dropping that far in the rankings. I think the first thing that comes to mind is just how sort of how stacked the 2022 class is compared to 2023. Again, I think it's fair to say that 2022 has some more talented prospects, or at least it's more clear at this point who sort of the top guys are. And so when you have this these reclassified guys, a lot of times the top 10 guys in the class that are above will oftentimes be kind of conservatively ranked just because they don't have that year of extra experience. But Fisher's a guy that's been playing ahead of his curve on the – on the tournament cycles and the circuits for years now. So it's not really a concern in terms of being able to play up. I wouldn't have any more concerns about Fisher being ready for the college basketball world than I would any other five-star or four-star recruit. I think that it's just about, for him, a couple of things led to that decline. Obviously, I mentioned the first about the class being a little bit stronger. I also think, as bad as it sounds, I know a lot of tech fans don't want to hear it, but I do think that there's something to be said that Fisher's had maybe a little bit of a drop in the perception of him as a prospect dating back to really the last year or so. And it's really nothing about him. He's still an elite level player. It's a lot of scoring ability, obviously. But at the end of the day, I mean, there are some questions that have arisen about his defense, his ability to kind of play within style offense and being a little bit too ball dominant and how that's going to translate to college. And so you've seen some questions arise that maybe weren't there early on in his days as a high school prospect. And certainly we've seen on the circuit He's been a household name for years now. So there's just some questions arising, I think, have led to his decline in, as a prospect from a reputation standpoint. And the 2023 class, as far as I know, hadn't been updated in a little bit. So that could have been reflected regardless of his ranking dropping. And as we saw, adding on to the fact 22, 2022 was stronger and the fact that he's a reclass, and usually they tend to get ranked a little bit conservatively. All of those things combined, I think, contributed to the drop. Yeah, and it's crazy because now with that reclassification, it, it's actually not true to say that he's the highest rated recruit in Texas Tech history. Because now, according to the 24-7 composite rankings, Jamias Ramsey and Amari Burnett are ranked higher than him. And he's actually only 0. .0005 ranking points higher than Micah PV was when he was a true freshman. So... Man, I mean, these rankings, obviously, you got to take them with a grain of salt, but it, I, I think there's something to be said there in, in terms of kind of uh, where he was at as a prospect. I, I agree with you in that there there seemed to be something around his recruitment 
apartment, not because of the kind of person he is or his play style, but just that, you know, these prestigious Power 5 programs were starting to take their foot off the gas just a little bit. Um, and, and I think part of that does have to do with the ball knob, and it's not, I want to talk about his play style in our next segment, but yeah, I mean, I think there, there's something to be said there. I don't think it's a huge concern. Like, obviously, just because a guy changes in recruiting rankings does not mean that he's a, a better or worse player. But I do think that, you know, you, you got to look into it a little bit and um, maybe just tap the brakes a little bit with Fisher. I think a lot of people are, are expecting him to come in and be this kind of KD-level freshman prospect. And I just think... Uh, I think he'll be on campus for, for more than one year. I, I really do think so. And, and I'll, I'll say why in a couple of segments. But I, I think patience may be a, a good trait to have with Elijah Fisher. It's also worth noting that Fisher is still a young guy. Like at the end of the day, he's someone that has played as the guy on prep circuits for basically half his life at this point. Like when you're raised in that environment, yeah, you're going to have some issues with ball dominance. Like we've seen – just about every single high-level player at some point or another has been the guy on their circuit. It's, a, it's an adjustment that people have that players have to take over the course of their first couple of months in college, just getting used to playing within a system. It's no different from Elijah Fisher. And when it comes to top-level programs kind of letting off the gas, I mean, we see that quite frequently. The guys that are getting pursued at the beginning of classes are oftentimes kind of maybe a little bit less or they're maybe a little bit less pursued by the end of their time. And then on the flip side, you see sometimes guys that are really kind of under the radar, like a KL there that ended up at um, Oregon or Nick Smith at Arkansas. Like those guys end up kind of getting more traction as the time goes on. So like that's just the over the course of a year or two in the high school circuits, you see kind of a development when it comes to how programs attack certain guys and certainly with Fisher it's not like the programs that were going after him weren't high level I mean you've got tech obviously you've got a team like Oklahoma State was in there early on you had Kentucky on the final list you had teams like Auburn and Memphis going at him at various points like there were high level programs that were interested in him it's just down to those top level teams usually have kind of set circumstances they're looking at and I would also say like we've seen in the past guys that have had programs that have sort of backed off have still had solid careers like I look at Jalen Hands at UCLA is a good example of that. Like someone that a lot of programs, by the time he got to the senior year, backed out on him. And he still had a really good college career. It was really impactful for UCLA. So there's a lot to like there. And I think that just because teams are kind of backing off of Fisher doesn't mean, mean that it's an indictment against him personally or as a prospect. All right. Well, let's talk specifically about his play style after a quick word from Bilt. We've been asked and built delivered. Built granola bars are here. Built granola bars come in three unbelievable flavors. There's chocolate peanut butter, chocolate coconut, and white chocolate berry. Want to try all three? You can get a mix box at built.com right now. The granola bars are loaded with granola. They are the perfect combination of crunch and chewiness. But just like the built bars and puffs, these are packed with protein and covered in 100% real chocolate. With 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, and only 4 grams of sugar, Built Granola Bars will change your world. Built has cracked the code to better granola. They're the perfect healthy snack to pack in your lunch, take on the road, or eat as a snack. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order today. 
That's built.com promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your order today. All right, well, we have an important favor to ask you. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. Go to lockedonpodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of $1,000 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to lockedonpodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. All right, talking to Elijah Fisher, um, the, the kind of player that he is, obviously the recruiting rankings with him being reclassed to 2022 might indicate some of it. But a, a quick rundown on Fisher, at least from what I've seen on tape, he is an NBA-level athlete. He has got a long frame. I think he's about 6'6", six, six, maybe 6'5", six, depending on what measurement you're looking at. But, but good wingspan, lengthy guy. He's got good burst, a really good first step with the ball in his hands. He can get to the rim. He scores around the basket very, very easily. He gets to the bucket and then makes play. Um, you mentioned the defense earlier. I think that's something that Mark Adams will definitely have to lean a little bit into. I'm questionable about his shot right now. I think that it can be a little bit better of a weapon in at the college. I think a lot of his game revolves around getting to the basket and having the ball in his hands and creating from there. Emery, what have you seen? Yeah, very similar stuff. I mean, he is a tier one athlete, one of the best athletes you're going to find in the nation next year. And there's not going to be any questions about his burst or his ability to get to the basket. Where things break down, I would say, is where his handle is probably not quite as advanced as what you were, as what you would hope for someone that is aspiring to be a ball handler at the next level. You say his passing needs some work. And certainly, like you mentioned, the shot is not going to be something that I'm overly confident about. Although I think that there's an avenue for him to being a reasonably good shot maker. And so we'll see how that that evolves but certainly offensively the key there is he's really good at attacking the rim and the athleticism's there he's got good contour good contortion ability he can avoid sort of he can initiate contact he can avoid contact he's good at being able to finish and that, that's something that i think is going to play into his hands as we see him go to the college level it's just that ability to finish the ability to drive well and have kind of elite tier burst athleticism but then defensively i think is where you're going to see some development is needed and it doesn't necessarily have to be right away. It's not something that's necessarily like a huge issue per se. He's not like egregiously bad, but at the same time certainly has off ball lapses. I mean, that's something that's typical of high level recruits that come in from these prep schools and high level program circuits, but you have that going for him where he's just not really an attentive on ball or off ball defender. Then on the ball, the length allows him to have, certainly great potential and athleticism being there as well but we haven't really seen it put together i think he could work to be more engaged on the ball and just in general i think there's a lot of kind of basketball iq stuff that maybe has to be worked in a little bit when it comes to playing on the ball and certainly he's gonna have to work on his switching a little bit work on you know fighting through screens there's just a lot of things that go into this that i think that you're gonna have to see fisher develop but he's got the athleticism and the tools to be a good defender and he's shown flashes on tape, it's just defensively more of a work in progress, but offensively, that athleticism and skill set is clearly there. Yeah, and I think maybe it sounds strange, but kind of a concern I have with Fisher is that he's strong. And I know that sounds odd, but 
when you have a guy like this and he's this pedigree of an athlete and he's this good of a scorer, sometimes when you're on these circuits and you're playing basketball, um, you can tend to rely on that strength a little too much and you get to the collegiate level and you're playing against, you know, big 12 athletes and all of a sudden you're not pushing guys around anymore. You're getting met at the rim and you're getting roughed up. And, you know, I'm not saying that Elijah Fisher has been playing against plumbers. I mean, this is a guy that's been playing on really high level circuits for his entire college career, playing against some top tier talent. But I do think that that strength is going to prove to create a bit of a learning. And I think we're going to see that at the front end of Big 12 play. I've talked about this on Red Raider Sports before, but I really do think that he's going to have some really good games in non-con. And he's look like a guy that's going to be a perennial. And then he's going to have a rough couple of first games in the Big 12 just because it's going to be an adjustment. And I mean, great players make the adjustment. So he easily could, and he could find himself in a position where he's using that strength at a consistent level in the Big 12 alongside his athleticism. But I, it'll prove to create a learning curve, um, at least at, at the front end of Big 12 play. And again, he can prove me wrong, but I think it's something that I, I've seen pretty frequently on his tape, and I think it is going to require a little bit of tweaking once he gets into Big 12 play. Yeah, and I think we talked about this as well with Pop Isaacs as another sort of guy that maybe he's going to have to have an adjustment when it comes to utilizing his strength. But I think the biggest thing with Fisher is his ability to get to the rim and his burst is phenomenal. And that, for me, translates a little bit better than absorbing contact because you're going to see that sort of strength adjustment adjustment with all guys. I think you're going to see it's not going to take all the way until a big 12 play for him to get get that exposure and kind of get the hint that he doesn't he can't utilize his strength quite as much as he did at the circuit and high school prep level but i mean i'm with you i think there's gonna be a learning curve there he's not a finished product by any means but at the same time like we want to see elite level skills on tech's basketball team elijah fisher's burst on athleticism and ability to get to the rim is elite level like people have seen what tj shannon can do and I think Fisher has a very similar ability from a burst standpoint. And they're in some similar waves in terms of athlete. Fisher obviously was very reliant on his strength at the prep level. But at the same time, like that's something we saw with TJ as well. And there's room for him to be an efficient player and still utilize his strength and still kind of have that learning curve. And I'm hopeful that he can find a complementary role. I think that's one of the things that I'm a little bit concerned about is just because he spent so much of his time at the prep level and on the circuit playing as a lead ball handler that when you come to tech and when you have so many guards on the roster and you're needed really isn't to have a ball handler or certainly not someone that's going to be flawed like Fisher might be, then that's going to play into kind of having a bit of an adjustment for him. But I think that as a whole, you never want to turn down someone as talented as Elijah Fisher. And there's a lot to work with, certainly offensively. I mean, you want guys with that level of burst in terms of tech wings. You're really just talking about TJ Shannon in the last couple of years has had that ability to get that first step and get sort of leverage advantage. And so I think Fisher's ability to do that is going to be something that translate translates really well, even if it takes him a few games to get used to the strength and the contact in the big 12, as we've seen with a lot of freshmen. All right, let's talk about Fisher's role heading into next season, but first a quick word from our sponsors. 
So when you have a recruit with, with the pedigree and attention and rating of Elijah Fisher, I think it's easy to kind of look at a guy like that and immediately project them as, you know, a starter or a high minutes type player. I think we saw that a lot with Nabar Namari Burnett. And then when that didn't happen, there was like obviously a very clear disconnect in expectations, not only from the fan base, but I mean, specifically his camp. And then you had Micah Peavy, who, who was the guy that maybe wasn't as highly recruited as Burnett, obviously still a very high caliber player in terms of Texas Tech recent recruiting. And he gets the nod in the starting lineup. And it's like, OK, uh, clearly, you know, there's other factors to consider with how guys are going to play and where they're going to end up in a rotation other than their recruiting rankings. And I think that sentiment is so important to preface the Elijah Fisher conversation with because it's it's going to be really interesting to to figure out how he fits in on this team and man i i saw him as long commit and then i read a couple of articles uh, across texas tech media coverage and immediately he's getting projected as a starter as a guy that's going to play 30 plus minutes a night and i am just not there i i am really not there and you said something in the last segment that, that kind of stuck with me because I think it's really key here. You you don't turn down a guy like this. He has raw talent that I don't think Texas Tech has seen in a really long time. But it's still raw. It, it needs to be cooked a little bit. And I think it's going to take some time with Fisher. And I th I think he'll come around. Like I think he's going to be a really good college basketball player and eventually become an NBA draft prospect. But the idea of him starting Big 12 basketball games next season, it, it's just not happening in my head right now. And I think there's a real chance that, that we're sitting here in December and I sound like I did with, with some of my Daniel Bacho takes. But as of right now, man, I, I did a projected rotation the other day and I, I, I came up with nine minutes for Elijah Fisher. If you have the guards that you do, and you have the catch-and-shoot players that you do with maybe one more on the way, it, it, it's just going to be tough, man, for a guy that's not a natural playmaker and not a good shooter to really click. And, and so I think for now, I, I'm being rather pessimistic. Obviously, um, there's a lot that happens behind closed doors over these next couple of months, and I will certainly be keeping my ear to the ground to see if there's any developments with him. But as of right now, I I am cautiously um, adjusting my expectations to what I think we see from Elijah Fisher next season. I think the key with Elijah Fisher is if he's taking minutes and he's starting, that means a guy like Jalen Tyson's going to be really dropped down the rotation or a guy like Demarion Williams going to transfer from Gardner Webb and basically be either kicked out of the rotation or not playing many minutes because for Fisher to get substantial minutes, you're going to have to supplant one of those guys. Cause you know, Davion Harmon is going to be starting at point guard. That's pretty much non-negotiable. You know, O'Banner and uh, Amac are going to be up on the front court. It's going to be hard to see Elijah Fisher taking any minutes from those guys when he's a six, six, one ninety five freshman in college. Like it's uh, unreasonable to expect him to play from the front court. So who does he take minutes from? He takes minutes from the guys at the three and the guys at the two. And that would be Jalen Tyson and any of the freshmen, whether it be 
Pop Isaacs or Lamar Washington, or then obviously Demario Williams as a transfer. Like for Fisher to get a lot of minutes, or at least like the 25 to 30 that I've seen getting thrown around as being a regular starter and the, probably one of the main guys on Tech's roster, he's going to have to beat out guys that A, have been kind of playing it, either A, have been playing at a high level or have a full season worth of offseason training with Tech, basically, and Tyson. Or he's going to have to show an elite level trait that Tech can utilize in a way that I just, I'm obviously the driving there is an elite skill. But the problem is, in order to be an effective slasher, that requires you to have the ball in your hands. And he's going to need to learn to play off the ball a little bit better, I think, to be able to be in that position to justify giving him substantial minutes. I'm not saying that it can't happen, but he's very much a player that. If he was the main guy for your team and he was the best player on your team, that it wouldn't matter because he's got the ball in his hands enough that it's not it's going to be a benefit. But the reality is, is there are guys out there that are on tech that have the experience and have sort of the abilities that they need, and that's going to mean that the player that we see from the player that we see as Elijah Fisher today is a guy that's a really good ball down, ball dominant wing that can drive really well isn't going to be maximized by the roster around Texas Tech next year. And they're not going to change their whole approach just because a borderline five-star prospect is coming into town. As good as Elijah Fisher is, and as talented as he is, he's not Kevin Durant. He's not going to come in here and average 27 points a game and be the guy that Tech literally changes their system around. It's just simply not going to happen. And so there's avenues for him to adjust his game. And certainly if he can, if he can show that he can play off the ball and the defense is there, I think he could be a really heavy contributor from day one, but it's going to require adjustments from where he is today. And we'll see. I mean, I will say he certainly has a lot of confidence in himself as a player and a lot of it's justified, but I just can't see him going in as the player he is today and making it out as a high level rotation player. And here's what I'll say from kind of a team building standpoint and factors that are external to Fisher for him to be a guy that plays, you know, 25 to 30 minutes per game, Texas Tech is going to have to shoot the piss out of the ball. And that sounds uncorrelated, but man, Texas Tech ha- has clearly shown in their recruiting strategy this offseason that they recognize that deep shooting was an Achilles heel for them last season. They were dead last in the Big 12 in every single three-point metric. It was a serious liability for them. Bryson Williams was the best three-point shooter on the team. That just can't happen. And so if Fisher wants to be a guy that's going to be playing these amount of minutes, Harmon's going to have to be better than he's been his entire college career, or at least match the 36%, 35% he put up his sophomore season. Williams is going to have to shoot really well. Tyson is going to have to shoot really well. O'Banner's going to have to return to ORU form. Um, Maybe AMAC makes, you know, 0.73s per game or something like that but you're gonna have to create space to put the ball in fisher's hands and say okay you know go go bulldozer mode on us like just get to the basket and make plays do what you did in high school but if texas tech is at a point where they are not shooting the ball well they need to generate offense from the perimeter then you're gonna have to prioritize those guys like tyson like Williams, like Harmon, um, 
and just get them in the fold and, and get them clicking on offense because regardless of what happens, you're going to need at least those guys to be making shots. And unless there's something that I've been missing with Fisher, uh, the shot is not at a high clip. Uh, I, I think like the, the only numbers that I found on him and his numbers are all over the place. Um, it was like a 35% three point shooter over like a span of 12 games, which is pretty small sample size, but it, this is not a three and D guy. This is a guy that you're putting the ball in his hands to go and create offense. And so with, with that in mind, your offense is going to have to click a lot off the ball because what you're doing when you're playing Elijah Fisher big minutes is handing some of those over to play through a guy that essentially is going to generate all of his offensive production with the ball in his hands. Or he could end up like Jemias Ramsey and randomly turn into a 40% three-point shooter overnight. You just never know, I guess. But in all likelihood, Fisher's going to have a bit of a curve when it comes to developing the shot and developing off the ball. But certainly, I mean, just looking at the tape, it, he's very much a player that has thrived this, so far in his career through being a ball-dominant player, which isn't uncommon. I mean, we see it a lot in the college level, but it takes those guys time to get adjusted to that level. Unless you're a Pelo Bancaro level of player that you come into a team like Duke and still are the number one option. So there's a lot that goes into it. I think Fisher can still be a positive contributor to Tech's team, regardless of how the shooting is. It's just going to be, you're not going to see him as a focal point given the strengths that he has today, unless the team is an elite level shooting team, which I mean, I'm optimistic about guys like Demarion Williams, like Lamar Washington, like Davion Harmon, Kevin O'Banner, all of those guys I feel like have the potential to be positive shooters but there's a lot of variance involved and there's going to be a lot of maybe it's going to take a lot of positive variance for them to be good enough at shooting to where you could justify elijah fisher being a focal point of the offense but more realistically i think it's just going to be how much can he adapt his playing style to what tech needs him to do how much can he develop his defense and really how much is tech going to be able to utilize him when you have just such a stacked roster already. And I think there's definitely a room for him in the rotation, regardless of how he develops. But this is the difference between him playing five and 25 minutes a game is going to come down to what other guys are doing off the ball and their ability to shoot and how Fisher can develop and some of the complementary aspects like passing defense and certainly his shot continuing to develop. All right. Well, Elijah Fisher is certainly a guy that Texas Tech and Mark Adams are glad to have on the roster High caliber player with a ton of stuff. Certainly am excited to see him in the Scarlet and Black next season. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Locked On Texas Tech. Be sure that you are subscribed to our feed wherever you get podcasts. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Leave us a like on this video if you enjoyed it. You can follow Emory on Twitter at eraser41. You can follow the official Locked On Texas Tech Twitter page at Locked On TTU to get notified whenever a new episode goes live. Until then, thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. Now make your second listen the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Raphael Barlow, Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leah Thulin give fans an in-depth look into the biggest prospects, the latest player rankings, and of course, big boards. Follow Locked On NBA Big Board every day on the Audacity app, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you tomorrow.